I don't want to force people to run if they don't like doing it. But if you enjoy running, at minimum, I would say three days during an off season, a downtime period. And that just keeps our body adapted to the demands of running because running is different than cycling. It's weight bearing versus non-weight bearing. Our muscles are used in a different fashion. So I would definitely highly recommend three days a week and keep up the strength training because you know that is going to be key to keeping you healthy once you get into a specific race uh, training cycle. Are you constantly worried about getting injured or you don't know how to get faster as a runner and you want to continue to run for stress relief, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Healthy Runner, the only place that provides you with training tips, injury recovery, and prevention tools with actionable strategies by experts in the running industry so you can develop a stronger running body and feel confident that you can overcome any obstacle as a runner. I'm your host, Dr. Dwayne Scotty, avid runner, running physical therapist and coach, educator, founder of Spark Healthy Runner, where we help dedicated runners get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running with the perfect online running coach, even if you've been told to stop running with an injury or you think coaching is just for fast runners. Learn more about our signature coaching program at learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com. Every week on the show, we coach you to grow as a runner, just like the process of building a strong, durable home that will last a lifetime requiring little maintenance. The design and planning is your mindset. The foundation is your strength training. The framing is your run plan. The electrical and plumbing is your nutrition. The insulation, drywall, and flooring is your recovery. The landscaping and exterior is your race strategy. If you master the six parts of growing as a runner, your running will be strong and last long, hitting PRs well into your 40s, 50s, and beyond. Every week, we help a runner just like you build their dream home. I'm your host, Dr. Dwayne Scotty. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. Hey, healthy runners, it's time to answer your running-related questions with another Ask Dwayne episode. We are closing in on summer, and it's another season of change. As school kicks off into full gear for most of us parents, in today's informative and fun-filled episode, I'm going to answer listener-submitted questions, and we're going to cover a lot today. Here's what we're going to be covering, guys. We're going to cover how often should you strength train in marathon training. We're going to talk about when can you run after a bulging disc? What is extensor tendonitis from running? When to stop running with pain, plantar fasciitis and lateral plantar nerve treatment, hip soreness during marathon training, base training before marathon training, how much to run when not training for a race, when to bump up to six days of running, how many running rest days per week, how much elevation is considered hill training? Is spinning good for running? Headaches after long runs? Running fuel and daily macros? And how much fuel and fluid do you need for a marathon? As you know, 
there are six parts of your running journey that need to be optimized so you can run strong and last long. Therefore, what I have done is placed your questions into buckets that align with our how to grow as a runner framework. So really looking at mindset, strength training, run plan, nutrition, recovery, and race strategy. So remember, when you execute those six key parts of your running journey, you'll not only feel more confident in getting stronger and faster, you'll stay healthy and enjoy the process of running again to crush some races uh, this fall. So remember, I will answer your question on the next one of these episodes if you submit it below in the show notes using the form. So all of these questions came straight up from listeners. So if you have a question you want answered, drop it in the form in the show notes. And I compile all the questions, uh, read through them, kind of put them in these buckets, and we're going to have some fun and I will answer them on the next live show. And I have one ask of you guys. At the time of this recording, we are sitting at 142 ratings on Spotify. So for those of you Spotify listeners who have been getting value from these episodes, can I ask you for one quick favor to hit the rating button on Spotify and put down the number of stars that you think we deserve. If you have learned anything on this podcast, it literally takes three seconds of your time and it would help the show immensely reach more runners who need to learn how to run strong, run fast, and stay healthy so we can enjoy lifelong injury-free running for many years to come. Thank you in advance for your consideration. And those Apple Podcast listeners, you guys can rate an Apple as well. And thank you to all of you who rated after our last Ask Dwayne episode, um, where you really helped us reach our goal of 200 rating and reviews on Apple Podcast. So I appreciate you. We got a lot to cover today. So let's do this. The first bucket we're going to start out with is our strength training bucket. And this question comes in from Tom. Tom is wondering, once marathon training begins, he's got an 18-week plan, it sounds, how often should I do strength training? Should I do it all? Example, plyos, single leg, etc., or just focus on certain exercises? So essentially, Tom, what you're really, um, and I love the fact that you are thinking about including strength training in your marathon training. And this question is going to really depend on a couple of variables is how long have you been doing strength training? Um, if you've been doing it for years and, or you have a solid amount of strength training in your base training, um, leading up to marathon training, and maybe you've been doing it three times a week. This is usually the time where I drop down to twice a week in most of my runners. If strength training is like really new for you, then I might even consider one day a week, or I might consider like one longer session where it's 45 minutes to an hour. And then one short session, that's like a 20 or 30 minute more body weight session. And in terms of what you should do, it really, again, depends upon what your level of fitness is. So, you know, have you been doing plyometrics all along? If plyometrics are new to you, I wouldn't necessarily add those in during your marathon training cycle because that's when things are going to get really hard. Unless you are a very experienced marathon runner, you've run multiple marathons before, and you haven't included strength training before. Um, 
then I would probably bias it a little bit more to strength training. But we have to remember that we need balance and your body needs to recover from both strength training and running. So I know that doesn't totally answer your question because I don't know all the variables that's involved with your specific lifestyle, but hopefully that's helpful for you. I would say the majority of the runners that I program for marathon training are going to get one and a half to two days of strength training. And then we drop down to one day of strength training about three to four weeks out from race day. And then the week leading up to the race, no days of strength training. Sometimes I'll give uh, my runners just like a muscle activation circuit for the hips um, with a minivan that I have on my YouTube channel really do that on the Monday or the Tuesday of race week, just to kind of make sure those muscles are firing. And, um, you could get more information, Tom, about kind of a little more in depth of strength training in episode 183 on the healthy runner podcast, where I really did a deep dive on strength training for running. So hopefully, uh, that was helpful for you. Thank you for asking that question. And thank you for valuing strength training during your marathon training, because that is a common mistake uh, most runners make is not including it. So now, and, and this is like a segue here, guys, is most runners don't include strength training. And when that happens, what does it lead to usually? Or if they're not doing the right strength training, what does that lead to? It usually leads to injuries. So here is where we're going to insert the questions in the injury specific bucket. All right. So this is like, if you weren't like Tom and did your strength training, then unfortunately you're going to land up maybe in this bucket. Um, so let's go through, you guys had a bunch of injury specific questions. So Valerie wants to know, I just, uh, learned from an MRI that I have a mild bulging disc at L3 to L4 vertebrae. I was five weeks into marathon training for a race in October when extreme front and side hip pain caused me so much pain that she could barely walk, let alone run. Is it possible to come back from a bulging disc and how long is the recovery? Am I out of the race? I'm pretty sure my half marathon tune-up race is August, three weeks from now. Um, is off the calendar, but still hopeful for the marathon. Okay. So Valerie, your question is kind of a loaded question because, and I talked about this in episode 155 on the Healthy Runner podcast, five types of low back pain in runners. Herniated discs are very treatable and most runners tolerate herniated discs really well. It's like a couple of days, like I've been there before. I unfortunately quote unquote, threw my back out literally three days before my goal half marathon race, where I was like in a C shaped, I couldn't move. Um, believe it or not, like three days later, I was able to run hard race effort. Um, because usually disc protrusions are worse with sitting prolonged flexed activities. So prolonged sitting, bending. And when we run, luckily it's not like cycling where you're not bent forward in a sitting position. Um, usually it's tolerable. However, based upon what you just described, um, the fact that number one, you had a mild bulging disc at L3, L4, and the pain that you described to me is not consistent with those MRI findings. Um, however, like I'm not trying to diagnose, I don't know your whole history, right? So your medical practitioner, hopefully you're seeing a good PT, um, is going to know the whole story, but 
the symptoms that you described to me as far as extreme front and side hip pain cause you so much pain that you could barely walk um, is not consistent with a mild bulging disc at L3, L4. So you could possibly have the rare scenario where you have entrapment of the L2, L3 nerve, the femoral nerve from an L3 herniation. Usually a mild disc herniation will not compress that nerve though. And that could give you pain in the front of your hip and the front of your thigh. And it's usually like a burning pain. So it's more of like what we consider like a pinch nerve in the back, but due to a specific nerve root, it actually causes pain in the front of the hip and the side of the hip. Again, I would need to differentially diagnose to see like, is it a hip joint issue or is the pain that you were having, was it really coming from the lumbar spine? Typically, most people listening to this who have a bulging disc in their back, their pain location is going to be on one side of their lower back in their buttock area. However, there is, like I mentioned, the L2, L3, which is not a common spot for us to herniate discs, by the way, um, will cause pain in the front of the hip or the front of the thigh. So to answer your question, it's really going to depend upon how your recovery was. I really hope that you're getting treatment and guidance um, from a good local in-person um, physical therapist. And it's really going to come down to, can you run the race? What was your longest long run? Um, so if you didn't get to, let's say 16 miles, I would not recommend that you run the race. Um, if you're able to run without pain and train and get up to that 16 miler, then you can definitely run the race without there being negative consequences. Is it going to be your best performance that you wanted? Probably not. Um, and it sounds like you've probably run marathons before because you're kind of mentioning a tune-up half marathon. So it sounds like you're an experienced marathoner. So I hope you've had help um, in this area. And if anyone else is struggling with a bulging disc, then um, check out episode 155. And I have a really good YouTube video that goes along with that episode with some graphics and um, editing. If you have back pain with running um, at all, that will be a a helpful reference for you. So Valerie, I hope you're doing better um, by now. I think you submitted your question a while ago. Uh, so uh, I'm hoping that you are on the road to recovery and you're back to running by now. All right, next question. Lowell wants to know, in the past podcast, I've heard discussions on many injuries. I don't recall hearing a discussion on extensor tendonitis and causes as well as remedies. So extensor tendonitis or tendinopathy, um, as we'll sometimes call it, is really like pathology of the tendon, is a condition that really involves either one or multiple tendons that run along the top of our foot. And these tendons really attach to the muscles that lift our foot up and help clear it from the ground. So like your front shin muscles, and they could be overworked, um, especially um, if you are a big heel striker. Um, with your running and you may be overstriding. And especially if you really ramped up your training um, too fast, too soon. So that's, that could occur. However, I do see many runners, and this has happened even myself before, is get irritation of those tendons by lacing up our shoes too tight. 
and or just having a shoe that doesn't fit comfortably, you have to lace it up even more so because maybe your heel's slipping out in the heel counter. Um, some of the kind of super shoes, the race stay shoes, the carbon fiber with the super foams um, have a tendency where we do have to lace them up even a little bit more. And I've had some issues there as well. And it is really that chronic irritation that will lead to pain on the top of the foot where the tendons are. There's not a whole lot we can do besides um, removing the irritation. So if it is a shoe fitting issue is let's solve that problem. Try to avoid compressing the top of the foot. So allow for a little bit more room, maybe a thicker sock, perhaps, um, maybe take a day or two off of running. And the other thing is if those tendons are really being overused and overworked, then strengthening the deep muscles on the bottom of the foot is going to be very helpful um, to provide more stability to the foot. So the extensor tendons don't need to work so hard when we're running. And the best way to do that is our short foot exercise for runners. So I have a video of that on my YouTube channel of a how to do the short foot exercise, the best exercise that we can do as runners to take care of our feet. Um, so I will link that in the show notes. And Steve has a question. He says, Hey, I've been uh, running consistently about 50 kilometers a week. So approximately like 31 miles there for those that are in miles like myself, um, while working a pretty physical job in construction for eight hours a day, five days a week. And it was all going well. Now I work away from home working 10 hour days for 12 straight days with two days off and then back to 10 hour days. On a typical day, I'll do about 15,000 steps without running, and the work site is not flat, so he's going up and downhill. Even though I'm working more, it actually gives me more time to run um, because he's not home with the family, and he really wants to use this time best um, so he can improve his running, but without injuring himself. So I love it. I love it uh, that you're thinking about that, and you're going about this the right way and the smart way, Steve. Um, so he says that his feet and Achilles are already starting to feel worse as time is going on. I strength train four days a week, twice for the upper body, twice for the lower body. Any tips on how to improve my running while not hurting any worse? I'd really like to be doing 80K, so about 50 miles per week, spread over five or six days. Um, so Steve, yeah, definitely a lot going on there, specific to your situation and having the achiness in the feet and the Achilles. Um, yeah, you're on your feet a lot. So it's a lot of time on feet. Uh, so you want to try to think about, can you take any breaks at work? And then when you're not at work, trying to maximize your recovery and everything that we cover in our recovery blueprint and foot care and using toe splays to really stretch out the muscles in your foot from being on them all day. And then obviously proper footwear. I'm sure you're wearing some type of like you know, boots or something at work, but, you know, can you put inserts in there that might help the feet not be so sore? Um, if you are supporting your arch, depending upon your foot type, especially if you're on the flatter end of things. However, strengthening the foot that I just mentioned, actually, in the last question with the short foot exercise is going to be very helpful, as well as Achilles specific strengthening and loading. 
So I would give you Achilles specific exercises to do more than the twice a week that you are doing your leg workouts. Um, but when you're doing your leg workouts, I would have you really build up the strength and resiliency. If you're doing it in the gym, then, you know, lifting a little heavier for your calf specific muscles. Um, so I know you had, um, also sent me a message. So yeah, let's connect. Um, I could definitely provide you a little bit more specific guidance for your specific situation, but hopefully that kind of gets things started. Um, and really the overarching theme here is if you're really looking to increase your weekly mileage, 31 to 50 is a huge jump, huge jump. So we're talking, I, I am going to actually peak for the first time ever in my, what, 12 year running journey at 50 miles during this marathon training cycle. Last spring, I peaked at 47. Last fall, I peaked at 43. So you see what I'm saying here is it takes time and you need to allow your body to adapt to the demands of running and you need to really make sure your muscles are strong enough to tolerate that type of mileage. So your goal of 50 miles, like I, I would look at that as a long-term goal down the road, not anytime soon, especially with all the hours and the change with work that you are on your feet. All right. Kate has a question. She says, I am week four of my coaching with Coach Cat and love it. Uh, how you doing, Kate? Um, I've been working through plantar fasciitis. I am always nervous when I feel anything in my foot. So I am wondering, how do I differentiate between pain or aches that are okay to keep running and pain that means I should stop running. I'm terrified of going back to the place where I can't walk without limping. And yes, Kate, I hear you. I've been there before myself. Um, this is very common, especially with plantar fasciitis. We don't want to go back to that place. Um, however, and I think you probably checked out the episode that I did, uh, the deep dive on plantar fasciitis, and this will take time to be like totally pain-free. So this is one of those conditions that takes up to a year to two years that you like don't feel any ache or pain the morning after a long run. And that's usually going to be the thing that you're going to feel the most is not during the long run, not even just after the long run, unless you were to sit all day in your desk and then go to stand up and walk, you might feel soreness on that day of the long run, but it's the next morning when you get up. Um, so as long as your pain levels, and I always say, as long as they're less than a three, then that's safe to continue with training. As long as it's not becoming more frequent and it's not increasing in intensity, this will eventually get better. And I know that you are doing the plantar fasciitis specific exercises that coach cat has given you. Um, and you are just rocking your training, by the way, I just actually met with coach cat. We always do our one-on-ones every month. And she said that you are doing really well and that your pain has been under a two and that you're training steadily for your half marathon. So congrats to you. She loves working with you. She, uh, yeah, she was very, she said everything is going really, really well, um, with the guidance that you're getting. So hopefully that answers your question and, and alleviates some of your fears. And I know anyone who's listening to this right now who has had plantar fasciitis, yeah, it could be scary, right? Um, you just want to make sure that your symptoms are continually improving and you don't want to stop running when you do feel that two or three pain level, like after that long run, because we have to actually build up the strength and resiliency in our tissues and allow your body to adapt to the demands of running as opposed to just like taking off for a couple of days and then trying to do it again. So 
We have more in our plantar fasciitis ebook that I have on all of that and the specific strategies. Um, everything that I mentioned today, by the way, guys, is really for your reference that will go into deeper. If like this is a topic you want to learn more about, then check out the show notes. There's going to be a bunch of links that I'm kind of mentioning right now, just so you can get the deeper dive um, where it's literally a full episode just on that topic. It's time to take a real quick break. And before I say any more, I truly hope the message so far today has benefited you either from a running or a health standpoint. Maintaining healthy feet are one of the critical parts to growing as a runner. Staying in line with that theme, I wanted to take this opportunity to share with you one of my favorite recovery brands on the market today, and that is Naboso. It's a company that is dedicated to redefining what's underneath your feet so you can feel more to move better as a runner. From a movement prep before your runs to foot recovery after those hard speed workouts or long runs, Naboso's Texture Products lets your senses guide you and connects you to your exercises and your running by strengthening your feet and helping you recover from those runs. Want to learn more on how you as a runner can activate, strengthen, and recover from running? Listen to episode 116 on this podcast to learn from Naboso founder, podiatrist, and human movement specialist, Dr. Emily Splickle herself. Dr. Emily shared with us the importance of foot stability for runners, what is sensory stimulation, the benefits of toe spacers, and barefoot training for running. There's so much value in this episode, so be sure to go back and queue up episode 116 on the Healthy Runner podcast to listen to during your next long run and learn about why I just love my Naboso products to get me through my personal training. I've been using Naboso Splay, which are toe spacers that are flexible to help improve circulation at least once a day, once I take my shoes off for the day, and I've just noticed a considerable improvement in my toe alignment from my hammer toes. I also love the Naboso Recovery Ball to get out any trigger points in my foot muscles, as well as the recovery socks that are textured and feel like a massage for my feet after my hard runs, and I even like them better knowing that they help stimulate my nervous system to enhance muscle activation and movement with their patented textured surface on the inside of the sock. I really couldn't imagine, honestly, half marathon or marathon training without the help and assistance of Naboso's products, which has helped keep me healthy as a runner. You can learn more about Naboso's textured products and how it connects you to your exercises and your running by strengthening your feet and helping you recover from your runs. Since you're a part of our Healthy Runner community, you will get 20% off all of your orders. Just use code HEALTHYRUNNER during checkout when placing your order using the special link we have for you in the show notes. Go ahead and give Naboso a try and your feet will thank you for it. I know mine already have. Now let's get back into this episode. All right, Christy. Christy says, Dr. Scotty, thanks for the great episodes about plantar fasciitis. Okay, uh, same topic here. About a month ago, I developed acute plantar fasciitis as well as impingement of my lateral plantar nerve due to plantar fasciitis. Do you have any specific advice or modifications to your usual plantar fasciitis management in the case of secondary nerve impingement? Thanks. Um, 
So Christy, sorry to hear about that. Uh, yeah, you are definitely in the rare, uh, you're in the rare, um, you know, a couple percent of people who will get a nerve compression. And there is a couple different rare conditions that can mimic plantar fasciitis. And this is one of them. And if you have plantar fasciitis, you could get this impingement of this lateral plantar nerve. And it, it kind of gets caught up and entrapped. And for those that don't know, this nerve really comes out kind of below the heel, more toward the inside, and also known as Baxter's nerve. And it produces pain on the inside of the ankle and heel, and it can mimic plantar fasciitis as well as tarsal tunnel syndrome. And the pain tends to increase with weight-bearing activities after prolonged rest, as well as getting up first thing in the morning, just like plantar fasciitis. So that's why it's kind of hard to differentially diagnose those. Um, the big thing in terms of management, especially if you do get any numbness, tingling, sharp shooting pain, um, more nervy type pain, then we want to avoid any, any type of exercise that increases that. So if I have someone who is dealing with this condition, then I am more conservative with the plantar fascia specific stretches and loading progression that you have alluded to is in my plantar fasciitis management um, in that ebook. So I would go more conservative with those and, you know, make sure that you're not increasing any nerve type symptoms. The other things that could be helpful from a management standpoint in this case would be either taping or orthotics or inserts to control any overpronation you have if you have a flatter arch and you're an overpronator. So that can be helpful to decrease the pressure on the nerve and the entrapment. Definitely stretching the calf muscles, um, which is in the guide, but um, you know we wanna definitely utilize that. Soft tissue to the actual fascia as well as the foot intrinsic muscles. So the looser those are, then allow for more movement of the nerve. So, you know, whether it is you get, you know, hands-on treatment by massage therapist, physical therapist, instrument-assisted soft tissue, massage, some dry needling in the foot, which does not feel comfortable, by the way, into those little small muscles. Uh, that was like the worst when I took those courses is getting your foot needled. Um, or your self-management technique. So if you have a foot roller or the Neboso um, half ball, so the neuro ball, they call it, and they're one of our partners. You probably heard me mention them before on the um, podcast, but we have a little discount code with them uh, for Neboso. So you can use Healthy Runner in uh, with our special link. Um, I love doing basically self myofascial release to those small muscles with the dome on the ball. And give me one second, because I'm going to actually grab mine from under my desk. was not planning on showing this, but here it is right here. Um, so it is a ball that comes out. And as you can see, I have it right by my desk because I do this myself for recovery to release those muscles and trigger points deep in your foot. So there's like three different areas of your foot that you can actually release over this. Um, so I would definitely recommend that you utilize that. Um, and then, you know, you could, especially if it's nerve symptoms, this is where I might trial you know, if it's okay with your stomach and you've taken um, NSAIDs before, so anti-inflammatory medication, that may be helpful in the short term to reduce some pain and inflammation 
around that area. Again, check with your medical professional. Um, I am not prescribing medication uh, through your question on the podcast, but, and then also, you know, strengthening the intrinsic foot muscles. So, you know, the short foot, there it is, guys. The third time I mentioned the short foot exercise in this episode. So, can you see why I say it is the best exercise that we can do as runners to prevent uh, some of these conditions? So, Hopefully that's helpful for you. And then Christy also has a, uh, another question, semi-running related, favorite brand of hydration vest. Um, I'm in the market for one. Yeah, hydration vests are amazing. I use them for all my long runs and even my speed work now during marathon training because you need water during your speed session. So my tempo runs, any marathon pace stuff, um, even track stuff, interval work, I, I use a vest. Um, so... I, my first vest I had was a Nathan, um, which was good. I, I liked it. Um, it didn't last, unfortunately. <laughs> it was funny because I was actually came across this picture uh, yesterday, believe it or not, in my phone beginning of last summer. <laughs> if anyone saw like my picture on social media, you're like, why does he have duct tape on his like vest? Because they, they got two holes in it. Um, so I like duct taped it and used that for like six weeks. Um but Coach Cat, I know, loves the Nathan vest. Um, so that's like a popular one. A lot of people uh, do Nathan. The one that I use, and um, it's my second version of it, is Ultimate Direction, it's called. And I originally got like their lighter race version vest first. That one did not do well. The material was kind of like a cheaper material. It didn't feel good on the skin. It kind of really chafed. Um, the one that I use that I've been using really since last summer and all of this summer, um, is more of, I think their trail version where you can like stack stuff in there. I don't put anything in there. Um, but it's, it's worked out well for me. I do still run into a little chafing issues like in my neck. And so I got to really watch out like what type of tank top I have or make sure my skin's covered. I put squirrels nut butter over there, but yeah, it's a little tough for me to, I haven't found like the perfect vest. And I would say it's very individualized. If you can go to a running specific store that has multiple options that you can try on, I think that's going to be best because it really depends upon your body type. Like for me, it's like weird because I don't have like a traditional runner's body type, right? So like my lats kind of like stick out on the side and sometimes like that can hit where the strap is. Um, so my recommendation is to honestly try to go somewhere where they have a lot of options or if you can go to like a really big race and like go shopping in the expo and try on a bunch of different vests and find out like what feels most comfortable for you and make sure with vests, the trick is you usually have to tighten the straps that are like behind or on the side first before you tighten the ones in the front. Cause that keeps the vest like back and where it's supposed to sit. Many people put them on wrong and like, do the front ones and snug them up and then they do the ones on the side. But I found a lot better results in effect by snugging up. It's hard for me to describe this, but you guys are watching the video version, but usually there's straps on the side, side to back area, snug those up first. It brings the vest back behind you. So all the weights, not like hunching you forward. 
and then snug the ones up in front of your chest. Um, so hopefully that's helpful for you, Christy. Good luck in your uh, hydration vest shopping and uh, let us know how you, how you make out with that. All right, next question that we have. Last one in the injury bucket here is from Tom. If you think you are overtrained in the base building stage and notice symptoms during marathon training, such as hip soreness, how should you proceed? All right. Great question here, Tom. And yeah, hip soreness to me doesn't mean hip injury per se. And I guess my question to you is, is this your first marathon? Is this your first time doing marathon training? Or did you just go, like you mentioned, kind of too aggressively in base building phase and you were like trying to really increase your fitness for marathon training? So it could be at like a higher level of fitness perhaps. Um, you know, the first thing that I would definitely tell you to do is focus on soft tissue releasing around the hip and mobility. So I do have kind of top seven muscles to foam roll, um, as well as the hip mobility series. And both of those YouTube videos are linked in our recovery blueprint. So I will link that in the show notes below. If you haven't seen the recovery blueprint, it has both those and other recovery strategies like Naboso that I already mentioned today, um, toast plays, things like that. But I would definitely double down on releasing the muscles in and around the hip as well as mobility before every run and even while it's feeling sore for you after all of your runs. So that's what I do with my clients. And usually, typically, that's something that's going to take away that hip soreness. Again, I'm, you know, I'm figuring that it's not like you have an underlying hip arthritis issue. If for some reason you did, or you did have a hip impingement issue, um, then there'd be some different strategies. However, both of the things I just mentioned will also help those as well. So improving your hip mobility is kind of key. And then usually it's the soft tissues get a little junky in and around the hip from being overused with running. And then I guess I do need to mention that, especially if it's like the front of the hip and the hip flexors and the top of the quad that always feels tight and overused, it's usually because there's a muscle imbalance and the glutes aren't doing their job, the side hip muscle, as well as the deep external rotator. So then I would definitely recommend that you work on activating and strengthening those muscles to correct this muscle imbalance with your running. And I do have a video of that. Um, there's always a video for that, um, of my five hip mini band exercises. So again, if you go on the YouTube channel, um, if you go to videos like most watched, it's going to be in that top five or 10 list. Um, but kind of five hip strengthening exercises to do with the mini band. That will be super helpful as well. Um, I also have that linked uh, in a previous episode. If you scroll in the podcast, you'll find that um, where I talk about each of those exercises um, to strengthen those hip muscles. All right, guys, injuries are done. Yes. Like let's put those to the side because we let's talk about stuff we love to talk about and that's running right in the run plan bucket. So the first question that I have here is from Claire, who is doing the London Marathon in April, but I am just getting running again due to posterior tibial tendinitis. Unfortunately, I got the wrong advice to stop running and didn't run for three months. Um, what level of base training do I need to get to before I start marathon training plan? I'm currently doing two slow 5Ks per week. All right. So one thing here, Claire, is 
all of your runs should be easy. So don't focus on the word slow. All of your runs right now during base building should be easy. So they should be slow, right? Because they should feel an easy effort. Um, the other thing that I would highly recommend is that you increase your frequency of running to three days and then definitely four days before getting into full marathon training because you need your body to adapt to four days of running. Really hard to do marathon training on a three-day plan. Um, highly don't recommend it. Have I done it for folks before who are really strapped on time? Yes. It's not pretty though. So we need to get you to at least four-day run plan. Um, so you want to build that up in base training phase, like you mentioned, and starting out with lower mileage and then think about adding some variety to your run plan. So typically for someone like yourself, if we were working together, right, if you were doing two slow three milers essentially per week, then I might give you like one, two miler, maybe two, three milers, and then a four miler. And then we're going to leave those three milers where they are. And then we're going to build out your long run. So even though it's not a long, long run, we're going to build that out. So you're having your, your body is under different demands on different days. So you're having one short run, two medium runs, we'll call them, and then one long run. So that's going to help your body recover and have different demands placed on your body as you're kind of building back up. Um, so hopefully you're really working on strengthening that posterior tibial tendon. And hopefully you found my video on that posterior tibial tendonitis, as well as the short foot, right? Like doubling down on all those strategies, the hip strengthening exercise I mentioned in the previous question is going to be very important for you as well. Um, if you want to know more about base training for marathon training, I did a deep dive episode on that in episode 168. So that one is going to be one that you definitely want to check out. Um, so hopefully that's helpful for you. And then Claire also has a fun related question. What is your favorite sport to spectate? Um, yeah, thanks for the fun question. I like these fun questions. Um, is a good question. I've always grown up watching sports. So I was always a big sports fan. And I guess my biggest passion was uh, my Yankees. So baseball and especially playoff baseball. So all throughout my high school, college, early adulthood years, it was everything Yankees. And it was like a great time period in the late 90s, the early 2000s. They won a lot, a lot of rivalry with the Boston Red Sox. And I live in Connecticut. So a lot of my friends were either Red Sox fans or Yankee fans. So it was a lot of like trash talking at work and, you know, nice, fun, like banter going on and bets and stuff like that at work. Um, so that was like probably my biggest... Um, passion, but to kind of spectate. I also love basketball and football, watching it on TV. But the biggest thing, honestly, in the last five years, especially after the pandemic, I honestly, quite frankly, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I'm not, honestly, because I've kind of started this podcast. I've grown my business. All my time and energy goes into that, that I have that's not with my family. So I don't really watch sports anymore. Um, however, the thing I do love spectating is my girls' volleyball games. And volleyball is like an exciting sport to spectate because um, the action is like nonstop. It's kind of like basketball. Everyone's always moving around. Whoever's on the court is like moving and it is really exciting. Um, so that's like what I love to spectate nowadays. And I just spent like all 
travel volleyball season, you know, and if you guys follow me on social, you'll see like I was in DC, Boston twice, Philly twice. And then my daughter Gabby went to like nationals in Florida and then she did an all-star regional uh, thing in Florida. And um, so I love spectating their volleyball and watching them. And obviously as being a dad, uh, you know, you, you, you got that pride and just proud of your you know, your child. And, um, I guess I'll give Gabby a little shout out cause this past week, it's totally random, but, uh, she was in our local paper. Uh, they did like a little interview of her from her experience at the, um, all-star, the USA volleyball all-star championships down in Florida and Fort Lauderdale. I shared some of that in my, uh, running in heat and humidity episode when I was doing my three week journey, uh, down South, uh, fighting all of that. But, uh, that whole like tournament, our local, a newspaper wanted to interview her and talk about her experience. So that was kind of cool uh, to see, you know, her get interviewed for that. And they did a nice little write up in the paper. So proud, proud dad moment sharing it here on the podcast. Um, all right. Next question, Roger, what's going on, Roger? How are you? Um, this is probably a situation that many of you are in. So Roger asked a good question. He says, currently I'm not signed up for a race. I am running and cycling for fun and general fitness. Awesome. As well as strength training. Even better. I may register for a fun uh, run in the fall, such as a turkey trot or a trail run next spring. What would you recommend as a minimum weekly mileage to maintain good running form and fitness? Would you recommend two or three days a week? And if I do register for an event, I will definitely follow a training program and increase my mileage. So great question, Roger. So for those of you who don't have a race on your calendar and you're just looking to run for just to, you know, for exercise and to maintain some of your running fitness so you don't lose it all if you recently came off of like a race specific cycle is we're in like this maintenance phase that, that Roger's talking about here. And I highly, highly recommend three days of running at minimum for most of us. Obviously, if it just doesn't work with your lifestyle and or you just don't have a passion for running, I don't want to force people to run if they don't like doing it. But if you enjoy running, at minimum, I would say three days during an off season, a downtime period. And that just keeps our body adapted to the demands of running because running is different than cycling. It's weight bearing versus non-weight bearing. Our muscles are used in a different fashion. So I would definitely highly recommend three days a week and keep up the strength training because you know that is going to be key to keeping you healthy once you get into a specific race uh, training cycle. Next question comes from Sean. Sean, what's going on? Uh, Sean is just crushing his training. Um, he is doing so well. He works with Coach Whitney. Um, so Sean wants to know, when do I know I'm ready to go from running five days a week to six days? Great question, Sean. Um, I would say you're ready or you know you're ready um, when you're feeling recovered. You know, you're feeling fresh after your runs. And I know that you are doing probably some specific workouts and or quality sessions. I know you're in a little downtime after your marathon, but um, if, if you've tolerated the demands of, like I know you've done multiple marathons now, of doing a five-day plan at that level, you've stayed healthy, haven't had any injuries, 
and you have the time to dedicate to strength training to continue staying healthy, then you could increase to six days. However, I am going to say, and I, I, I don't have the finished product story to share with you, but myself, um, this training cycle, my coach actually um, programmed five-day run plan um, for my marathon. And I haven't done five days of running in probably like two or three years. And I'm not going to lie, I kind of like it um, because I feel so much fresher. So I, I really, you know, I've always been a huge proponent of one rest and recovery day a week at minimum. I'm really liking two, honestly, during this hard marathon training that I'm doing with, you know, specific speed work on a Tuesday that I just did this morning or and doing quality long runs. So the long runs with Spice that we talked about with Coach Lou, um, you know, that's hard training and I'm getting up to like the most mileage that I've ever run in my life the five days is working out pretty good, you know, knock on some wood here, but it's the healthiest that I've ever felt during hard training. So I guess it, it really depends upon your circumstances, Sean, and seeing how long have you done five days and is six days really needed and necessary? If it's really hard from a time management standpoint, like right now in my training, I'm what, probably six weeks out from my marathon you know, my, my training week to get to mid 40 miles per week, it, it looks like a couple seven milers. My speed work is either seven or an eight mile. There's one five miler and then I'm doing, you know, 14, 16, 17, 18 milers on the weekends. Um, so if you don't have time to like go running for over an hour every day, cause you got to get to work and stuff, then that's when I would consider adding a six day. But if you're okay with running longer, for those runs during the week, I almost give more weight to having an extra rest and recovery day to allow the body to recover from all the hard training you're doing. If your mileage is not where mine is and, and you're working on increasing and it, it's, it's going up and you're at a different level, then you're going to need to add a six day, right? To get to that level. So hopefully that, um, answers your question. And those that might be considering this topic really start to think about what are the variables and what are your goals? Um, where's your level of fitness? How is your health? Right? Because all of that is going to matter on whether you do a five-day run plan or a six-day run plan. And then Sean also wants to know, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? All right, Sean. So I've always been a strawberry guy growing up. Um, however, I am lactose intolerant. However, like they really make some really good coconut and almond milk brands. So I just love the biggest one that I am like a sucker for now is the cookie dough. So the cookie dough, I forget the name of the brand they get from Stop and Shop, but it's like uh, coconut milk. But Ben and Jerry's make some good like almond milk varieties, like the peanut butter one's really good. Um, so anything with vanilla ice cream, I'm not a chocolate guy. Um, so I'm more of the vanilla you know, strawberry, um, or had a really good strawberry sorbet that was like fresh the other day. Um, so the, the, those are my kind of go-to. So thanks for the fun related question. I appreciate that to break up some of the serious running talk that we have. Um, and hopefully you're recovering well from your goal race and you're working on your next, um, big goal. 
I hope you are enjoying this episode and it is providing value for you. I wanted to take a brief moment to share a story of a real runner like you who is struggling with a common problem that you may be facing. Here is one of our athletes who got the guidance, support, and accountability from our Healthy Runner coaching team to get clarity and structure on the six steps to growing as a runner with personalized strength, nutrition, and run plans. I hope their story inspires you that there is hope to either get over your running injury or to continue getting faster or running longer so you can continue to get in those mental clearing miles and enjoy your running journey again. Here is their inspiring story. Ten months ago, I injured myself, pulled a glute muscle uh, one week prior to the Detroit Marathon, which I had been training for four months to run, and I was unable to run the marathon. And uh, long story short, after a couple of false starts with some other coaches and um, another physical therapist, I Googled um, Dwayne and found him online and set up a meeting with him. and. We started right away on the 16-week return to run recovery program in March of 2023. And I um, completed that program and am now three weeks into marathon training for the New York City Marathon with him. And I just completed a 12-mile run without, um, without pain. I will say that I knew what I had to do, but I didn't know, I knew, I knew I knew what recipe I wanted to make, but I didn't know what the ingredients were or the measurements. And uh, Dwayne gives that to you. He basically um, gives you the, the, the right proportions of running and strength training in the right progression over the right period of time in order to help you recover. And he does it in a very um, uh, tailored to you way. So this was um, very much, this program was very much designed for me. And now I'm running again, uh, and my hip stabilizers and my hamstrings are stronger than ever. So uh, I owe I owe Dwayne a lot. Um, I wouldn't hesitate to recommend him to any any uh, middle-aged runner with injuries or really any runner at all. I hope sharing that story inspired you and provided you some hope. If you want the one-on-one structure, accountability, and support from our Healthy Runner coaching team of experts, check out the behind-the-scenes video tour of our signature coaching program you just heard about, including other stories from runners who are just like you and were struggling with the same sticking points before they signed up for our program. Just head to learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com to learn more and book your strategy call with me today. Now let's get back into this episode. All right, next question comes from Kim. Kim says, I've been regularly running since uh, September 2022. All right, so I just got to think of my years here. All right, so we're almost coming up on a, a year. We're essentially coming up on a year of you running regularly and consistently, it sounds like. You have a half marathon in six weeks. I'm 50 in November and it's on my bucket list with more to come. All right. So you're running your first half marathon. You've been running 30 to 36 kilometers per week for approximately three months with strength training two to three times a week. Excellent. I'm glad that you are um, doing that strength training and 
You've been competing in 10K run events monthly since February and won 15K. Um, You've improved a lot in the 10K that you started an hour and 16 minutes, and now your PB is an hour and 11 minutes. Okay, excellent. I okay. You've had a few niggles, and you've worked through by listening to the podcast regularly. Excellent. I'm glad that's been helpful for you. Um, love the show. Okay, thank you so much for the feedback. I have learned so much. How many? Okay, here's a question, guys. How many running rest days would you recommend in a week? So, at minimum one day. I just mentioned that actually. In your case, especially being more novice to running, I would definitely say two days and you could possibly do three days. So, you know, you are getting some body of work now under your belt uh, with a year of running consistently. So, you know, I would say you'd probably be good with two rest and recovery days. So you're not running at all, um, a week, or you can do three days of non-running a week. So you do like a four day run plan, and then maybe do strength training on itself on a fifth day, let's say. And then you do strength training with running on other days. So you have like two full rest and recovery days. So hopefully that's helpful for you. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm glad that's been helpful. And I hope you crush your half marathon. And uh, Kim, next week, next week, we're actually doing a new episode with Coach Whitney on half marathon training mistakes to avoid. Make sure you tune into that one. It will be super helpful for you as you prepare for your half marathon. Next question comes in from Stuart. Stuart, what's going on? Um, when going for a six-mile run, what would you define as a hill run in terms of total elevation gain? I often hear you talk of incorporating hills into my running regimen, and I want to know if the 450 feet to 550 feet elevation gain I often achieve during my six mile run would be considered hill or would it be considered like a flat run? Great question. And honestly, I really haven't focused a whole lot on like elevation um, and the numbers. I know some people do. I'm not one of them, tell you the truth, Stuart. So it is kind of weird because when we look at like final surgeon or clients, like sometimes I'll notice like when some elevations like super high, I'm like, whoa, you were like running up a mountain essentially. Right. Um, however, based upon like road race standards, um, any run that goes from a hundred to 200 feet gain per mile would be considered a hillier run. So like a rolling terrain, and if you were like looking at race courses, they would consider like a rolling terrain is anywhere from 50 to 150 feet elevation gain per mile. Anything above that, like 150, 200 foot elevation gain per mile, up to 250 feet, I don't know if I just said that, is considered very hilly. And then a mountainous run, so you trail runners, right, um, is like 250 to 400 feet of gain or more per mile. So based upon what you said with six miles, um, you're definitely running some, you know, hillier terrain there. So you're at the 550 mark. So you're about 100, right? elevation. So that would be considered a hilly run. And it's usually enough in like the context of what you mentioned, usually 
you know, if you were battling Achilles tendinopathy, proximal hamstring tendinopathy, those are the big culprits for hilly runs or even IT band syndrome, where you got to really gradually work those in. And then obviously if your race is going to be a hillier race, then we recommend, you know, running hillier terrain to allow the body to adapt to those demands. Um, so hopefully that's helpful for you. It sounds like you are incorporating some hilly runs. It's kind of weird, right? Because you could technically go up a really steep mountain and get like all of your elevation gain in like one mile out of that six mile run. Um, or it could be really spread out and there's just a bunch of little up and down rolling hills throughout your run. So in the context of like allowing your body to adapt to the demands, you'd, you'd try to do like the rolling hills first before doing a steep elevation gain, if that makes sense. And Margie, what's going on? Margie is one of my clients and she is just crushing her training um, and getting healthy. So Margie has a great question. She said, I'm curious about cross training for increased performance and injury prevention, specifically spinning classes. I can get my heart rate up super high. And of course it's low impact, but maybe if I have an extra hour, an easy run would be more beneficial? Question mark. Is there any point to cross training specifically an intense spinning class when you're not injured or recovering from an injury? Here's another question. Is it possible that 55 plus masters runners have less difference in time between their threshold pace and their easy pace? I feel like there's a much smaller difference between my race pace and my easy pace than what I see listed in many of the standard tables. Um, okay. So a lot of questions here, Margie, let me try to, um, let's, let's tackle the spinning question. Cause this is common and it really depends upon what is the goals of your training. And if you're recovering from an injury and you're not doing speed specific work in your running and you're looking to get the heart rate elevated, work a different heart rate zone, maybe work more in that threshold zone or interval zone from a cardiovascular standpoint while your musculoskeletal system is healing from your running-related injury, then I would say yes. I would not do a spinning class if you're looking at it as cross-training. And I think you'd be much better served at doing a long duration, or in your case, like you mentioned, an easy run. And again, we have to look at how many days of running that you're doing and how healthy you are. But I would rather see someone hop on a bike and do a low load, long duration session on the bike to work in that zone two of the heart rate to really work on aerobic capacity to translate. And like many of the runners that I work with who are battling an injury, right? They're not running long and they're not, you know, they're decreasing their mileage. So hopping on a bike and doing it for a long period of time at a low intensity is going to be beneficial from a cardiovascular standpoint. So you don't lose the aerobic base and the aerobic fitness that you've built up as a runner. So hopefully that makes sense um, to you. And as far as the difference between your race pace and easy pace, I do find that that is um, fairly common. 
especially for faster runners, and I know you are a faster runner. I'm going to put that in air quotes, by the way, guys, um, where you will see some of those zones start to shrink down. They get a little tighter. Again, as we push faster running, and Coach Lou talks about this a lot in a lot of the episodes that we have, it doesn't necessarily mean your easy pace needs to stay high. You can actually slower easy pace down. Remember, you don't get a lot of benefit from running your easy pace in the upper end of easy. And one of the things my coaches told me um, was for like a workout or a long run, right, which is a key foundational run in your weekly training, then we want the heart rate to be maybe a little bit more elevated. Again, if you're well-trained, right, you have experience, you're not a beginner runner. Um, so let me just put that out there. And the other runs, like when you're doing speed work, so for example, this morning, like I did, you know, threshold um, run, the warm up and the cool down can even be slower. And when you look at those charts, and especially, you know, it is one of, I think, the negatives of, you know, a system like VDOT that really kind of puts it right in front of you during all of your training, like here are your paces. Your easy pace is actually faster than it should be for most of your runs. And in order to get the benefits of the easy run, which is to recover, you can't run those easy runs as fast, especially if you're hitting those hard workouts in your speed work and in your long runs with some spicy miles that we talked about with Coach Lou in that episode. Um, So I would challenge you to even run those easier runs a little bit slower. And it's not going to do you any negatives at all um, from a training perspective. Um, So just going back again to the spinning point, just because I know this is big for a lot of runners is remember in cycling, there's far less activity of your lower leg muscles, specifically the calf muscles. So the gastroc, the soleus, then there is with running. You're using a lot of quads, a lot of hamstrings. So cycling is not a direct correlation to you improving as a runner. So we use different muscles in a different fashion for running and locomotion, all right? So that's why I'm not a fan of using the cycling to help improve running fitness, if that makes sense. And then the other question uh, that Margie had was, if I had the opportunity to get have my VO2 max tested, should I go for it? Um, would that help identify my heart rate zones? And this I really learned actually from the expert I brought on in episode 149 on the podcast, Margie. So I'm going to have you go ahead and listen to that because what I learned is it's not about the VO2 max test that you're really concerned about getting accurate zones, but you want a full like metabolic test. And we could be talking the same thing and it could just be lingo, but you want the full metabolic test to really determine your zones for accuracy. But he had talked about that in the episode, the difference between just getting the VO2 max number versus finding out your zones. Um, could it be beneficial? Absolutely. And someone like yourself who has been you know, running for a really long time and you're really improving in your fitness, I think more specificity, if you have access to it around you, then you can get it tested. It could definitely be informative to make sure that you are in the proper zones when you are training. Um, if anyone's listening to this as a beginner runner, that's definitely not something you need to do when you're starting out running. Um, you do want to go more on like effort 
All right. So let's get to a different bucket here, guys. We're getting to the nutrition specific bucket, and this is usually very common questions that we get. So Becky from Instagram wants to know, she says, I feel nauseous, lightheaded, and a headache for the rest of the day. During the long run, I'm fine, but just after the long run, I eat 50 to 60 carbs per hour, which is very good because we want to at least eat like 30 carbs a minimum per half hour. I drink chocolate milk after, then some sort of meal maybe one to two hours later. Last time started about an hour after the run. Do I need more carbs after? Should I go slower? My heart rate zone three majority or zone two. So all that kind of sounds really good in what you're doing. Um, And this is actually something I was very curious about because I know this happens to me a lot. And I did a little digging here and believe it or not, there are four types of headaches that runners can get. The most common type is really sounds like what you're experiencing. And most runners experience a throbbing type headache after running. And apparently it's quite common. And these are called exertional headaches and they tend to happen after a high intensity workout. So when we exercise, we're like exerting ourselves physically, right? So the muscles really are sending all of our circulation um, to the muscles that are running and it's going throughout our bloodstream. And sometimes this can cause like a reflexive vasodilation to the muscles that weren't getting any of that blood flow during running, such as like our head and neck area. And then that can lead to this exertional headache. Um, This feels like more like your head's throbbing. It's like a pulsing sensation on both sides of your head rather than a targeted sharp pain. And um, it's really tied to specific hard runs and workouts. And I know this definitely happens to me. Like after all my races, I go all out effort and it's really been happening on these long runs during these hot summer months. Um, however, I want to make sure that we talk about the other three types of headaches, because if someone's listening to this, um, I want to make sure that you're addressing these areas. The other, the second type is headaches due to dehydration where you're losing more water than you're taking in. So the blood flow to the brain decreases, which in turn can lead to some headaches. So make sure that you're using electrolytes during your runs, avoiding dehydration, um, symptoms that it could be a dehydration headache is you're going to also feel lightheadedness, which I know you mentioned lightheadedness. So that's why I wanted to kind of mention this, um, or that you're thirsty or you feel like totally fatigued, a lack of energy or enthusiasm. Um, you don't really need to use the bathroom because you're dehydrated. You're not peeing like after your runs and you have a dry mouth. Um, like I do right now from talking way too much, uh, during this episode. So that would be like a dehydration, um, headache. And I want to make sure I don't get one. So I'm going to take a swig of water right now, if if you're okay with that. All right. So then the third type of a headache is actually one that's definitely a little more serious. And this is where we can get low blood sugar that leads to hypoglycemia, which is essentially a lack of glucose. So for this, the other symptoms that you'll feel is you're going to feel hungry. You're going to feel shaky. um, You're going to be sweating. You could be dizzy, disoriented. um, So that's really low blood sugar. And the key to this for distance running is to avoid eating foods with excessive simple sugars 
like right before a run and re- eat more like balanced snacks um, during the run and make sure that you are giving enough carbs throughout the run so your blood sugar levels don't go down. And then the fourth type, which doesn't sound like this is the case, but there might be someone out there who has this, so I want to mention it, and it really relates to what we see as PTs a lot, is kind of tension headaches or headaches that are caused because of tightness of your muscles in your neck. And if you're running with poor form or you're just running all out effort and you're tensing up for many miles at the end of your half marathon or your marathon and your, your shoulders are like shrugged up to your ears and you're not relaxing those neck muscles, like that can cause a tension headache up to the back of your head, more like the base of the skull usually. And that's due to really those tight muscles. Um, But I think the most common one many people are going to be able to relate to is that exertional one that I mentioned. Um, Because I know myself, like I definitely don't have the hypoglycemia and I definitely don't have the dehydration stuff because I've been really making sure I prehydrate hydrate during, keep myself cool and hydrate after a lot. And I am, you know, avoiding going to the bathroom after. Um, so it is, and I I was always kind of wondering that as well. Um, but I guess, you know, when you are doing intense exercise, it is fairly common to get that exertional one, but because you mentioned the lightheadedness, I did want to uh, mention the dehydration. So hopefully that answers your question. Thanks for asking it. And hopefully someone else listening to this learned a little something about headaches with running because we definitely haven't talked about that on the podcast before. All right. So Emily from Instagram also wants to know as a runner who tracks my macros, should my pre-run fuel or fuel during long runs count toward my daily calories and macros? From what I learned, ideally, the fuel you're taking in during long runs is being utilized at that time. So should I be counting it as part of my daily intake nutrition? All right. I had to outsource this one, Emily, because I'm not the expert on macros. So I got Brooke, a registered dietitian, coach on a healthy runner team uh, to weigh in. And here is her answer. Um, and if you want to listen to more, check out her new podcast, the Actively Fueled Podcast. Um, so Brooke says, I would not, in all caps, count any nutrition you're taking in during runs toward your daily intake as your body is immediately using it as fuel and not creating the same physiologic response in the body versus when you are at rest. As for the pre-workout fuel, there isn't a quote unquote, right or wrong answer here. Um, In the grand scheme of things, a pre-workout snack is a very small piece of your overall intake, likely 100 to 200 kilocalories, 30 to 60 carbs, grams of carbs. So I would try not to worry about it either way. If your pre-run workout fuel is more like a meal, then sure, count it toward your macros. But if it's a small carb-rich snack, right before a run, I probably wouldn't track it. And remember, macros are a tool and your body will have varying needs day to day. So be sure to tune in into how you are feeling in conjunction with your macros versus solely relying on macros to guide your nutritional choices. Hope that helps. Hope that helps you, um, Emily. And thank you so much, Brooke, for uh, giving that very insightful answer. All right, next question, guys. Heather says that I have been trying to increase my fuel and hydration during my long runs. 
recently I heard that 200 to 300 calories, mostly carbs per hour is ideal. And that's pretty much what Brooke just reiterated there. Um, Recently I heard, okay. So during my last long run of 13 miles, I had 500 calories in gels and about 33 ounces sugar-free Gatorade over the course of three hours. The whole run and my recovery went so well, I am thinking about doing a full marathon. Should I expect to double the fuel and liquids for the marathon? It just sounds like a lot, um, Heather says. And it does sound like a lot, but you will be surprised at how much you need when you're out there. And what I'm going to do, honestly, Heather, is to reference you to check out our marathon blueprint, which Brooke actually provided a specific training on nutrition for the marathon within the blueprint. So I'll put down the show links uh, down below. Um, most of the eBooks that I mentioned, by the way, guys, if you go to learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com, you will find any of the eBooks that I mentioned. But Heather, I would check out that episode that Brooke did on marathon-specific nutrition to answer your questions. But in general, again, I'm not a, a really numbers counter. I am more of kind of let's put it into practice, make sure I'm fueling every 30 minutes, and then see how I feel after. Am I recovered? Um, how do you feel and not look at like how much you would need for the race itself. And it really matters on how hard the effort is at the race as well, because the harder we are on race day, um, you're going to be definitely using more fuel than a training run. So keep that in mind as well. Tom, uh, wants to know, do you take hydration products every day or only before and after your runs? So hydration products, I'm assuming, Tom, you're talking about electrolytes. Um, yeah, that would be the only thing I could assume. Um, so great question. And I would, I do take hydration products when the dew point is high and when it's summer running or before my race. So yes, I will preload two to three days before a half marathon, a marathon, and take my hydration product with my electrolytes in it to make sure that like I am good to go. Um, and I'm not only doing it before and after the run, but after the run is definitely important as well. So yeah, that's what I do. Um, I have, you know, heard some stuff for those that, um, aren't doing a lot of carbs. And if you're doing keto, it is even more important for you to actually do it on a daily basis. Um, so just putting that out there. I don't do keto, but um, yeah, hopefully that's helpful for you. Um, if you, you know, plainly think about, are you going to be sweating a lot for your runs? Do you have hard workouts? Are you doing hard training right now? Then you want to think about taking probably hydration the evening before, like that type of a run to make sure that you're topped off um, and that you're good to go. So hopefully that's helpful. And then let's get to the recovery bucket. Uh, Angela, Angela, what's going on? Uh, Angela has a question. She said, let's talk compression socks and compression calf sleeves. When to wear them, when to not, is it okay to run in them? Um, will it help muscle tightness that comes on late into long runs or should they only be used as recovery? Great question. And I don't think there's one definitive answer. I'm going to give my personal take on this, Angela. I think it depends on 
um, what someone's circulation is. It depends on the humidity you're running in. If you have a tendency to swell in your ankles, in your lower legs, if you don't have the best veins, and I know myself, I don't have the greatest veins. I don't have varicose veins, but knock on wood, hopefully I don't in like 10 years, but I don't have the best veins. Um, and I used to feel like a heaviness sensation in my lower legs a lot um, when I would do really long runs and like the first time doing a, you know, a 12 miler for half marathon training or the first time doing 14, 16, 18 for marathon training. And I, I did feel a relief using compression socks. Um, so then socks versus sleeves, socks are best, especially if you swell in the feet. I don't necessarily get swelling in the feet. And for me, it's more important to have my best anti-blister sock on, on board for my long run. So I have like a specific quarter Belega sock that I, that works for me, all my marathons, right? Like half marathons. I don't get blisters. That's my favorite long run sock. That's my race day sock. So I do the calf sleeves with that sock just because the compression socks, I don't necessarily trust. And I I've used a couple. Um, they're usually not as good as that Belega sock I mentioned. Um, so I don't use them for races and long runs because of more of a blister, you know, catching the foot in the wrong spot kind of deal. Um, however, if you're a person who swells in the feet after long runs, then I wouldn't do the compression sleeves. You do want to do the sock because you really are going to need to bring that swelling in a graded fashion up into the lower leg so it can be reabsorbed. Um, so for me, I run with compression socks. I do my hard runs and my long runs in them. And even if my legs are feeling a little junky the next day, I might do a recovery run in a compression sock or sleeve. Some runners don't like the feeling. I don't know if, you know, there's definitely not any evidence to support performance wise. I do think it is personal on those variables I mentioned before, as far as like circulation how, how well are your veins and are you running in a lot of humidity where you might have a tendency to swell up a little bit, um, in your lower legs. So the moral of the story is try it out for your runs. If it feels good for you, if you like the sensation, then use it. If you don't, don't use it. And then I also use them for recovery after my run. So like right now I'm literally wearing a pair of compression socks as I am standing here doing this episode. Um, right now I'm wearing my Naboso compression socks with the, the nice little pattern underneath, like a little massage under my foot. Um, because I did a hard run. I did a hard strength training session in the gym this morning. So, um, Hopefully that helps. The muscle tightness issue. Remember, double down on your foam rolling for the calf muscles specifically with active motion. Like I have in the video there, you have that already. Strengthening the calf muscles is going to prevent that tightness that comes late into long runs and stretching after the runs. Those three things, I would make sure I'm covering those. And you brought up a great point because I mentioned it before about cycling, not using the calf muscles as much. Remember guys, when we run, our calf muscles, more so than any muscle we have in our lower body, are being used at its maximum potential when we run. So they're being used a lot. So we got to strengthen them up a little bit more. And then Angela has a fun question of what's your favorite thing to eat after a race? Oh, uh, great question. After a race, you know, 
I, the thing I eat immediately is I, I'll bring my, I think I mentioned it before. Yes. With the ice cream question, I'm lactose intolerant. So I'll bring my, um, my vegan protein, uh, to the race. Cause usually there's not a lot of protein options. So I want to make sure I get my protein in, um, right after the race, as well as, some, you know, simple sugar, bread, fruit, right. That kind of thing. But then meal wise, I'm down for anything. I just can't do anything too greasy. Um, however, I have done pizza a couple times. Um, it really depends on how I'm feeling, but yeah, that I would say that's it. And the next day we're like hibachi. We love hibachi as a family. So that's usually good. Again, some good rice and some veggies and get my protein. Just remember protein is important for recovery of the muscles to kickstart that recovery process. Um, so coming down to the end here, guys. Oh man. Last question. Okay. Stacy on rest days, does it, what on rest days, does it mean to rest like no activities or can you cycle for an hour or swim for an hour? What does recovery days mean? And I think I alluded to this before is on those rest recovery days. Um, I don't think I actually did. I, I think I talked with coach Whitney about this earlier when we were meeting. Um, on our rest and recovery days, we need rest recovery. So it needs to be easy, restorative yoga, easy, light swimming, easy, light biking. Like your heart rate is not elevating more than zone two. And you're going out for just to get movement. And those activities are good because you're non-weight bearing, but you shouldn't be exerting yourself. Your heart rate shouldn't be getting elevated. It shouldn't feel hard whatsoever. So that's my definition for your rest recovery days and easy. And then Stacy also wants to know what food speed up recovery. It is really going to be protein plus your carbs um, to really speed up recovery. Try to keep the fiber down intake in, in those carbs. You know, more of the simpler stuff is going to help get into your system, replenish your glycogen stores. Protein is going to go to the muscles to be able to start to rebuild the muscles that you are breaking down during your runs, during your strength training. Um, and then also your hydration, your electrolytes is also going to speed that recovery process. So guys, man, thanks for hanging in there. I've been talking a lot. Hopefully these questions have been super helpful for you. Um, we covered a ton of topics today. I appreciate you for sticking around. Uh, if you're watching this during the run, watching the video version of the Spark Healthy Runner YouTube channel. I appreciate you. If any of the stuff has been helpful, share it with a running friend. And if you like this training, then you'll surely like the next. So if you're listening on the podcast, queue up episode 159 to learn all about how to grow as a runner in six easy steps, or just click the video I have for you if you're watching this on YouTube. Let's maintain a strong mind, a strong body, and let's just keep on running. Until next time. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Healthy Runner Podcast, where we help you get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running. If you found this content valuable, here's five ways we can help you grow as a runner for free. One, grab a free copy of my Spark Blueprint at learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com. Two, follow my Instagram page at sparkhealthyrunner. Three, join my free group by searching Healthy Runner on Facebook. Four, subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash spark healthy runner. Five, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more experts in the running field and bring those lessons back to you here. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on Apple podcast or the follow button on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode of Healthy Runner so you can maintain a strong mind, a strong body, 
and just keep running. Lastly, if you've been struggling with the constant injury cycle, not eating the right foods for running, or not getting faster as a runner, and you are ready to invest in becoming a lifelong injury-free runner, head to sparkhealthyrunner.com to apply for a one-on-one signature coaching program. Thank you again. I mean it from the bottom of my heart that I appreciate you for listening and sharing this podcast with a running friend who can use the help. Now go and crush your run today. See you next week.